five seconds. He's going to throw it. Howard leaps. He has it. Touchdown, Carolina. Back from the dead to tie the game with two seconds to go. Snap back, spot down. The kick is cleanly away. It is good. And it's Wilder with yes, a 54-yard field goal. And how about them Tar Heels? They do it. Here's Kupak. Gives off to Amos. He's good. 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 He's Jordan back to kick, it's blocked again, picked up, it'll be a touchdown Carolina for Bracey Walker. He blocks his second punt and scores his second touchdown of the season, it's 14 to 13. Mr. Jordan meet Mr. Walker. Bernard fields it at the 26, heading to the far side, Gio at the 35, Gio, he's at the 50, no he's not, yes he is, Gio, he's gonna take it for a touchdown. This is the Heel Tough Blog Podcast on Spreaker.com. Hey guys, and welcome to this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. We are back after a long layoff, and now it is officially time to talk about some on-field football as the Tar Heels got back to action today when they opened spring camp inside of the new indoor facilities, uh, which have gotten rave reviews from what we've seen over the past couple of months from recruits. And, of course, today for many of the journalists that stepped inside for the first time, as well as the players who were out there uh, for their first official practice inside of that building. But first, we've got a couple other things that we have to do beforehand. And first, we got to welcome in our co-host, Josh Marlowe. Hey, buddy, how you been doing? I know uh, you have been covering basketball, and uh, it's heading towards the end of the season. So you're hitting uh, the the uh, home stretch, and it's been crunch time for you. So you holding up? Yeah, man. We've, we've had a lot of work going on with basketball. You've been helping me out. We've surprisingly got a team that is competing to win the ACC, which wasn't expected to begin with, and then after an early loss to Louisville, but here we are, and it's, it's been a fun ride, but it's, it's also good to take a little break and talk about Carolina football, because it's, it's actually exciting with, with Mac Brown and, and all the stuff he did in the offseason, and really excited what he's going to do with this team in the preseason, because this is where this team's going to win games in the fall. It's not, it's not in the fall, it's what they're doing now and in the summer, and just, just really excited to, to see where he's going to lead this program. Yeah, and it's kind of weird because over the last couple of seasons, you know, spring camp has started up around this same time, but it hasn't really had the same energy that it did today where people actually, you know, did stop talking about basketball for a good period of time, about three or four hours there um, from about three o'clock until seven o'clock. That was when, you know, they went through practice and then had some interviews going on afterwards, and Carolina football was in the limelight for the first time in what seems like forever so it is very encouraging like you said and you know there are some other storylines that we have to talk about before we circle around and start to preview uh, what to expect from the rest of spring camp but first we'll start with the opening drive here on this edition of the heel tough blog podcast this is the opening drive and for this edition of 
the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. The opening drive will focus on a guy that has transferred out of Carolina, but for a different reason besides to play uh, at a different location and, and maybe get more playing time. Nathan Elliott, the starting quarterback from Carolina a year ago for the bulk of the season. Of course, he had Cade Fortin start the game against Virginia Tech got injured, and then, of course, Nathan Elliott had to come in in the second half of that game. And then uh, Cade Fortin, of course, started the final game of the season, played all the way through in that one against NC State. So those were the only two games a year ago that Nathan Elliott did not start. Some may think that Chas Surratt started the game against Miami, but he did not start that game. He just alternated with Elliott. Elliott actually did get the start. So 10 starts a year ago for Nate, and he ends up finishing with a four and nine record as a starter um, and he ends up leaving Carolina with 3,149 yards passing he posted a 21 to 14 touchdown interception ratio which I think a lot of people thought was probably worse than that number um, but ultimately you know there were some times where Nathan Elliott was able to move the offense down the field especially late in the 2017 season uh, which was one of the reasons that he was the favorite to win the starting job a year ago of course he did and then he ended up you know struggling a little bit uh you know we we debated on this podcast whether or not he limited the playbook um you know and I still think that was probably part of the reason why Carolina's offense did struggle was because you know the playbook was a slight bit limited because of his lack of arm strength and you know he, he did have some sloppiness in the pocket but you know he ends up moving on and will now work at Arkansas State. He will be a graduate assistant under uh, Blake Anderson, who actually recruited him to Carolina back in the 2014 class. Of course, that was, uh, you know, during Blake's last year on the Carolina staff. Of course, that offseason, he would move on to take over as the head coach at Arkansas State. Also, Anderson will, uh, or excuse me, Elliott will be working with his former quarterback coach and Keith Heckendorf, who was there up until this past offseason uh, where he was let go. And uh, he is actually coaching tight ends now over at Arkansas State. So a good opportunity for Nathan Elliott. When you heard the news about Nathan Elliott, you know, this was a guy that some people were saying might compete for the starting quarterback job again this season, but it seemed like it was going to be a three-horse race and then Nathan Elliott might just hang on because of experience. He ends up leaving now. You know, what was your overall impression of the move by Nathan Elliott? I was kind of shocked because there was not any rumor about this happening at all, that he was looking to maybe leave. He never put his name in the transfer portal that we know of or anything like that, but I think ultimately, I think he, he achieved his dream, which he got to start as a major college football quarterback. But I think you also understand that he's, he's a limited quarterback. We're going in a different direction. Um, and for this team to win and be successful, we probably needed someone else uh, under center. And he always wanted to be a coach anyway, so why not go ahead and, and get into the, the field? Because, I mean, look at, look at head coaches now across college football and the NFL. Younger is the new trend, so he's, what, 21, 22? He could be a head coach in a decade because he's already starting learning how to be a coach now. So, you know, I, I thank him for what he did because he represented the university well and, and he fought his butt off on the field. And we wish him the best of luck, but I think ultimately he just knew deep down, look, I'm not going to be the quarterback here, um, so I might as well get into coaching and see where it takes me. 
And one of the main things that we saw after the news was announced was a ton of Carolina players, former players that played with him, just saying how great of a guy this guy was and how he was a guy that, you know, just had the, uh, an unbelievable work ethic, represented the university very well, as you mentioned. And we saw it time and again last year, you know, he was one of the guys that would still come out for press conference days and answer questions, despite being one of the guys that was questioned probably the most on the entire team last year. So you got to hand it to him. He's a real stand-up guy and just, you know, continued to fight through, you know, what was a tough situation last year in that offense. And, you know, uh, hearing all the rumors about the possibility of his head coach being fired, hearing, you know, everybody saying week in and week out that, you know, it was time for him to hit the bench. But, you know, this guy not only did, you know, he, you know, he, before transferring, he actually went through the offseason program. So this is a guy that just continued to fight until the minute that he left Carolina. And now it's like you said, you know, it's a young man's game in coaching right now. And college football is starting to see that as well, especially at the coordinator positions. So I, I think Nathan Elliott, you know, if this is the move that he wanted to make, and it seems like this has been a move that he's been looking at for a, a little while now, I think it's ultimately the best move for him and, you know, allows him to continue, you know, to stay with the game of football as opposed to, you know, sticking it out another year at Carolina and then maybe trying to latch on somewhere in one of the many football leagues um, that are now going to be available to him, whether it's the NFL, uh, the AAF, or the XFL. Instead, he's going into coaching and getting an early start, like you said, and, and I think it's going to work out pretty well for him. So, um, from there, we'll move on and, and transition into the spring camp preview. And there were some storylines that came out on Friday in Mac Brown's pre-spring camp interview uh, or press conference, rather. Uh, six players have been deemed out for the spring. It starts with linebacker Jonathan Smith, who will be out for academic reasons, although, as Max said, he is expected to return to the team in June if everything goes as planned. Meanwhile, Hybrid, either going to be defensive end or linebacker Tyrone Hopper will be out due to injury. Alan Cater, who will be probably one of those tweener guys as well, who could play uh, the 3-4 defensive end spot or the 3-4 outside linebacker spot. He will also be out due to injury. Jason Strobridge, who was expected to start at one of the new defensive end positions, he is also out due to injury. And then Wyatt Tanal will round out the scholarship players that is injured. He is, of course, the true freshman early enrollee on the offensive line. He ended up getting injured in the uh, preseason workouts. Austin Dowler, a walk-on, will also miss spring camp due to an injury. Three players will be limited throughout spring camp. Miles Dorn is injured. Um, of course, he will battled injuries all of last season. Miles Woolfolk, who missed the final seven games of the regular season a year ago, he will also be limited. So both safeties um, that started a year ago that remain on the team uh, they are both going to be limited. And then Antone Green, the wide receiver who, of course, suffered, suffered the brutal ankle injury against Syracuse, 
He will be limited throughout camp as well. Three players will move positions. Chad Surratt goes from quarterback to outside linebacker. Saw some reps uh, that he was taking there today, courtesy of Tar Heel Illustrated's Andrew Jones. He was out there filming and did a great job of keeping an eye on Chad Surratt. And for the most part, you know, Surratt looked pretty good. We'll talk a little bit about him coming up. Avery Jones will move from offensive guard to defensive line, although they're is still a chance that he could play on the offensive side of the ball. Today, he was dressed in the jersey number 94, so he would not be able to play offensive line with that jersey number. So it looks like they may be trying to fully transition him to the defensive line. He'll probably be a guy uh, that would project to go inside to that nose tackle position, although he did play defensive end in his senior year at Havelock just two years ago. Devin Lawrence, he will move from running back to wide receiver, and Mac Brown pretty much just said there is a lack of depth at wide receiver, and there is a load of depth at running back. So that's why that move was made an interesting one to say the least though, as Devin Lawrence will now try to move into the slot, um, which will be held down starter wise by Daz Newsom, but Lawrence will try to help provide some depth there. So, uh, you know, when you look at the list of guys that we just read off, I, we'll start with the guys that are out. Um, you know, I mean, there are some significant defensive guys that are out of the lineup uh, for the spring. And, I mean, I'm looking at the list right now. There are two guys that are pretty much guys that you could write in as starters. I think Jonathan Smith and Jason Strobridge are pretty safe to say um, that they'll be starters. And I also I also thought both Alan Cater and Tyrone Hopper could have had big influences, whether they were on the defensive line or if they were going to stand up and play that outside linebacker position. So, I mean, is there any concern here with these injuries for you, especially with the switch to the new scheme? I guess the good thing is that it's, it's, it's only spring ball, and they're only going to miss, they have what, it's like 13 or 14 practices? I think it's 14 um, if I counted right, but yes. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah depending on like if they do the spring game or not, they can have an extra practice. So while it does suck because we are putting in a brand new scheme on, on defense for the guys on the defensive side of the ball that are hurt, at least it's, it's spring, and it sounds like everyone should be okay for – the time of summer camp or fall camp comes around when it, when it you know, in, in July. Um, so, you know, as long as they're, they're doing what they can do to get healthy, learning the playbook and doing all that stuff, I, I think they'll be okay. But, I mean, you never like to have players injured, especially as many as we've had the last two years. Now, what are your thoughts about the guys that shift positions? I think the one that everyone wants to talk about is clearly Chaz Surratt going from quarterback to outside linebacker. I mean, do you think is, – is that – I don't know how to look at it because part of me says, okay, it's good that he's able to stay with the team and is willing to move to linebacker. But at the same time, we're having to convert a quarterback over to linebacker right now. Is that saying something about the depth that we have there? Or maybe is this just something that, you know, they're seeing something with Chaz Surratt and possibly it could pan out into something pretty good? Did he play defense in high school? He did not. He only played, at least not that I remember. I know his senior year and his junior year for sure, he did not. But if I remember correctly, he never he, he did not play the defensive side of the football. Well, for one, you got to look at at least he's, 
he's unselfish enough to do something to help the football team. Um, because, uh, you know, we, 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 we need help at the linebacker position. And, you know, maybe with the new scheme, his athleticism will just transcend and he'll still be able to make plays and play with his instincts. Um, you know, the, the, the guy moving from the offensive line to the defensive line, you know, that's another area where we, we, we kind of got a beef because we lost some people early and we got some injuries. And then the wide receiver, yeah, I mean, you lost Anthony Ratliff-Williams. You know, you got uh, Green, who's hurt. So we, we need some, some stuff there. I mean, it's part of it. It happens all the time, normally, in every offseason. It's just like you said. You never see a quarterback transfer to a linebacker after he's played the position for two years. Um, so, th- you know, it, it'll be fun to watch. I know that. Well, I, I mean, I wouldn't say that we've never seen that. I mean, one of the guys that comes to mind is actually a guy that made the NFL at Wisconsin, uh, Tanner McAvoy. Now, there is a little bit of a difference because McAvoy, I don't even remember. He I, he may not have even started a game at Wisconsin. He pretty much just converted because of the amount of talent and depth behind him at quarterback, and that's part of the reason why Chaz Surratt is making the move as well. But I like something that you said there, and that's the athleticism. Jay Bateman's defense, we've heard this from him, we've heard this from guys that have watched what he's done at Army, and we've heard this from guys that love to break down film. The key thing about Jay Bateman's defense is athleticism and it's open field tackling. So, you know, again, we don't really know what he's going to be as an open field tackler because, uh, frankly, I don't think he's ever tackled. And um, the only time he's ever tackled is probably when he's thrown interceptions. So that will be a little bit different for him, and it's going to take him, I, I think, a little bit of time. But it'll be interesting to see if he maybe had done that at the middle school level. Maybe he did play a little bit of defense early on in high school. So that can help as well. Um, but uh, the athleticism is definitely there. I mean, this was a guy that just destroyed the state of North Carolina, granted at the 2A level, but I mean, he was everywhere. The total yards for him, I mean, he if, if I remember correctly, he is inside of the top 60 or maybe I know top 70 all time in state history in rushing yards. I mean, he ran for over almost 7,000 yards if I'm remembering that number correctly. I had looked it up the other day. Um, So this guy is an athlete. He is not just – he wasn't a guy that was in the state of North Carolina, tore it up as a quarterback, basically throwing the football around the yard, and now is trying to convert to be a linebacker. No, this guy does have some athleticism. So uh, I think there's a chance that he definitely could be successful. And the other one that I think is really interesting is Devon Lawrence. And, and, you know, part of the reason that – you know, I think he's making this move as well is because he came from an unorthodox system in high school at Wake Forest High School where they ran sort of the wishbone offense. And it was even – even though it was classified as a wishbone, it was a very different variation of it as well. Um, so I, I feel like, you know, he's a guy that did have some decent numbers out of the backfield receiving the ball. And I think he's a guy that can also make moves in open space because he's been a running back beforehand. So, I mean, it, that that's another interesting one, especially since the – we don't really have a ton of scholarship guys there. Now – you know, the thing about the wide receiver position is that I think the guys that are coming in in 
the fall, I think they really do have a chance to make an early impact. Guys like Chaffrey Brown, uh, the brother of Diami Brown, who's got a chance to start. Um, also, Justin Olson, the wide receiver um, from North Mecklenburg High School in Huntersville that was very under-recruited and actually reminds some people a little bit uh, you know, of Ryan Switzer because of the smaller stature, the ability to return punts. And then, of course, Wilton Spotsville, who I think everybody just kind of forgets about because he was committed during Larry's tenure and stuck around through everything that went on with the coaching change and everything like that. So, you know, Devin Lawrence, I think getting in there, transitioning to wide receiver in the spring, I think that's going to help him to have a chance to make a little bit of an early impact. But we'll turn our focus from the guys that are switching positions and we'll focus on some of the guys that have been locked in in their positions and now are preparing for some big battles this offseason. And again, everybody's going to want to talk about one battle, but what we're going to do is we're going to start with the battle that I had as number five on the list. And we can also talk about some of the other ones if people want to do that. But you know, one of the ones that I was really interested in was the kicking battle. I think Noah Ruggles is probably going to be the favorite in most people's minds. Very strong-legged kid uh, who is on scholarship with Carolina. Um, came out of the state of Florida and is a guy that is expected to take over the role as kicker. Now, he's only kicked twice in his career, and they were both extra points. He made one and missed the other one. So, a very limited experience. And the thing for Noah Ruggles is... Is as of right now, he will more than likely be getting looks at kicker and punter. There's a chance that he could start at both this season in his first year of full action. Um, ben Kiernan, who uh, was highly recruited uh, by the Tar Heels uh, as a punter, actually given a scholarship, he won't arrive until the fall. So Ruggles will probably be the guy at punter until he gets there. But all, he'll have to battle off Nikki Solomon at kicker. And Solomon is a walk-on, but he was a guy that in his high school career, he made uh, 10 field goals or his senior season. They didn't have his previous stats on max preps, but his senior season, he finished 10 of 16 on field goals. And of those 10, only one of those were inside of 35 yards. So this kid does have a pretty strong leg, and I think he could sneak up on some people too. And if neither one of those guys are able to separate themselves, Jonathan Kim, who will enroll in the fall, he is going to be a walk-on as well. He could make some noise. Uh, he actually committed to the Tar Heels as a preferred walk-on uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And so he could come in and potentially make an early impact. The question here for me, uh, and, you know, I just want you to talk on this for a little bit. You know, when you look at the kicking game in recent years, really since Nick Weiler left, there hasn't really been all that much consistency there. And really, even with Nick Weiler there, it took until his senior season to get that consistency out of him. So, you know, how important, is this battle because I feel like a lot of people kind of put this one on the back burner thinking oh you know it's just kicker special teams is like is is a is very important and it was very important under Larry it was just in the kicking game we never it never mirrored that what he was saying because like you said outside of Wilder's senior year literally every year he was there the kicking was inconsistent I mean at the time we couldn't kick 35 yard field goals. It was that bad. So I think that's what all backgrounds are going to look for in the staff is who who is the most consistent guy? When we can't get six, who can we count on to get us three? 
And if Ruggles doubles up as punter, who's going to punt the ball good enough to put the opponent's offense in a worse situation? Um, it's really that simple. So that's what he's going to look for. Which guy gives him the best chance to make field goals, you know, put uh, put kickoffs through the end zone for touchbacks, and then when you punt, you know, punt the ball at a, at a pretty good rate. I, I think you're going to see – it's going to sound weird because Larry, you know, coaches special teams. I think it will be different now that we, we have a special teams coordinator as opposed to the head coach. I think you're going to see a, a heightened and a better effort on that side of the ball. Outside of the return game, I mean, that's all Larry's teams did do was, was return the ball well. So hopefully we get a little bit more consistent because we're not going to score touchdowns every time. And there's going to be games you've you got you to be able to make field goals and hopefully Ruggles or Solomon or Kim can step up and do that. I think Ruggles will win the job, though, by the way. Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're right about that. He was highly recruited, a guy that's on scholarship, and usually if you got a guy on scholarship, he, he's on scholarship for a reason. So I, I, I agree with that. Um, also, he was the backup last year, so I, I would think that they were relatively comfortable with him. I think Freeman Jones did a good enough job for the bulk of last year, especially early in the season, and that's the reason that Ruggles never really overtook him. I don't think it's because of a lack of talent. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I agree with you. I think Scott Boone being there now as the guy that's going to be the special teams coordinator now, I know he coaches outside linebackers, but look, uh, that's pretty much just he's probably getting – he might throw his opinion in there once in a while because he used to coach linebackers at Arizona. That's pretty much going to be locked down by Tommy Thigpen who will be focusing on linebackers and will also be the co-defensive coordinator. So it seems like Scott Boone's going to focus on special teams. And I think, you know, like you said, I think that there is going to be some more focus on the kicking and punting games, which, you know, I would say that the punting game was also relatively successful under Larry, especially with Tom Sheldon. Um, I thought, you know, Hunter Lent had his moments, but he was just really inconsistent. That was the only problem for him. And I think, uh, you know, when you look at him now, now, um, you know, I, I mean, you're, you're probably going to have. There's a chance you could double up with Ruggles. So, um, you know, I, I'm I'm not sure. I'm hoping that maybe Ben Kernan can come in and, and settle that punting job down in the fall. Um, but yeah, as for the kicking game, I, I think you're right. I think that they will go with Ruggles, and it's going to be important to find a guy that is consistent there because a year ago, Phil Longo's offense at Ole Miss kicked the most field goals in the country with 23. So they've got to find a guy that is reliable, and hopefully, I I mean, we're thinking that guy is Ruggles. It doesn't really matter who that guy is. It's just about finding him, and I feel like this staff is, you know, going to be able to find that guy uh, a little bit easier than maybe the previous staff was able to do. From there, we turn to the defensive side of the ball. This will be where there will be a lot of good back-and-forth battles. A lot of these positions are pretty wide open, and there's so many to pick from. Outside linebacker uh, is definitely one. The problem with that is we just really don't know who's going to be at those spots. And same thing with defensive end. One of the guys that was there today was telling me that Timon Fox is going to stand up as an outside linebacker. Um, but Timon Fox, to me, seems like a guy that probably is you know, built to put his hand in the dirt out of, you know, amongst the group of guys that will be out there on the field because the guy that, you know, the one of the guys that I was asking about as well in Lincene uh, Ture, you know, he's a guy that is, a, is, to me, from what I've seen, is significantly smaller than Timon Fox. 
Um, I granted he he has grown since he came to Carolina when he was recruited as he, I mean he was very small as a defensive end. I think he weighed probably below 250. I think he was around the 240 range, and he's put on a little bit more weight. But they're telling me that he's going to stay inside and play one of the three four defensive end spots. So again, we're not sure about that. Those things could change once they see what guys are better fits at as we go throughout the spring and then eventually into the fall. But when you look on the D, at the defensive end spot, and especially here in the spring with Jason Strobridge being out and also Alan Cater being out, you got guys like uh, Jake Lawler, Zach Gill, and also Lancine Ture, who I included in there. But I think really Jake Lawler and Zach Gill are the two guys to keep an eye on. And one of the interesting things that I saw today when you know I was looking through some of the videos that were taken out at camp he had Aaron Crawford, and then right next to him was Zach Gill. So it looks like Zach Gill's going to be getting some decent amount of reps. I mean, if you're lining up next to Aaron Crawford, clearly they're going to be using you a little bit more this year because Aaron Crawford is almost as sure of a defensive starter as just about anybody on that team. Um, he's going to start at the nose tackle position. But Jake Lawler and Zach Gill are two guys that were relatively highly recruited. Lawler a little bit more. He was a guy that was a three-star prospect, but borderline four-star. He moved between defensive end and defensive tackle in high school. So he has that ability to play more inside techniques than some of these other guys. So with the new 3-4, um, defensive scheme, more than likely you'll see a lot of the guys playing either the four technique or the five technique um, in the defensive sets. I think the four technique is what a lot of people are saying they're going to go with. So, you know, I mean, when you look at those two guys, I mean, these are guys that were relatively highly recruited, especially Jake Lawler. You know, I mean, what, what do these guys have to do? I mean, you, you got to see one of them probably step forward here in the spring and, and demand some of these reps, especially if, you know, some of these guys maybe aren't able to return fully for fall camp. Yeah, the thing with those injuries is it's going to allow you to develop some maybe some surprising depth that you didn't think you had. Mm -hmm. And hopefully that's what these guys do. They just take advantage of the reps because they're one way or another they're going to get them. Um, and that way you can you know we haven't seen Lawler on the field for meaningful snaps really like we but mm -hmm. like we were you know we're hoping once he he committed. Uh, but now now he has a chance to to earn a spot in Bateman's defense and that's. That's what you're really looking to see with with these new guys, with you know, with the new staff is with with the players we haven't seen, with the injuries we're dealing with. Let's build some depth because we haven't had depth on the defensive side of the ball. It feels like in a decade, um, right. and, and just and earn and earn a spot on the team and on the field and, and have a role, whether it's special teams or third downs or something like that. Um, so you know, that's what I, that's what I want to see is these guys compete, get better, and while we got some guys on the sidelines get guys that are going to be ready because at some point these guys are going to graduate and they're going to need to play and hopefully they'll be ready. Yeah, I think one of the main things about the defensive end spots is they're going to change a lot when we get to the fall because of the guys that are coming in that were recruited and did not early enroll. Um, so I think this is going to be a much different picture, but I like what you said there. I think it's going to develop some depth. And, and I mean, these guys have seen a little bit of time in their Carolina careers on the field, but most of them have been garbage time snaps. I think the talent is there for both of these guys. I, I really do 
like Zach Gill a lot. I think that he's a guy that, you know, played mostly defensive tackle at Wake Forest. But again, that's in high school. So most of the time, your biggest guys that play defensive tackle, they're going to translate to defensive ends or sometimes even outside linebackers at the next level because, frankly, the only reason they're playing defensive tackle is because they're the biggest guy on your defensive line. And I feel like that's what Zach Gill was. I feel like he has some good pass rushing ability. And I think like I, I think if he's able to get some of those reps, I think he could surprise some people a little bit. Same thing with Jake Lawler. I think, you know, it's taken him a little bit of time. I also think that he did have to build a little more upper body strength, and I think that's starting to finally come around. I'd like to see, you know, what he looks like now after going through this offseason's uh, workout program, which a lot of people are saying that just about all of the players did a fantastic job in. So I would be wanting, you know, I, I want to see what he looks like out there as, as well as as well as Gill. And I think both of those guys, you know, potentially with the extra reps could become guys that make impacts on the field if needed this fall. So we'll turn and stay on the defensive side of the ball, but we move to the secondary for this next battle. This is my number three battle, and it's going to be at the strong safety position. Free safety is pretty much locked down with Miles Dorn uh, as long as he's healthy. But at the strong safety position, it's going to be a a little bit interesting considering that the heels really don't have a guy that's able to step in and automatically fill that position like they've had in the past. They've went from Donnie Miles to J.K. Britt, uh, and that was a relatively smooth transition. But now there's not really a backup guy that's ready to step in there immediately and take over that role. So there will be a battle here. Miles Wolfolk, who, of course, as we mentioned earlier, will be limited in camp. He's a guy that played free safety a year ago, also showed that he is a relatively good tackler. Uh, so that is one thing that you're going to need out of your strong safety position. Also think he has the athleticism to potentially play the strong safety position. Um, as well as DJ Ford, he was a backup safety a year ago. Saw him out there today um, in some of the reps that were taken. It looked like he was running with the one, so that's good to see. Um, he's a guy that's a junior and really just hasn't seen a whole lot of playing time because of the guys that are ahead of him. Um, he was a guy that you know kind of snuck up on some people when he was recruited back in the 2016 class, and so now it looks like he's going to have a chance to potentially make an impact. And then the other guy that's listed as a safety is Kadri Jackson, the true freshman early enrollee who will come in. Uh, I think he has a chance to make an early impact, especially because I think he fits this Jay Bateman defense better than just about any of the guys that we just talked about. Um, but at the same time, because of the inexperience, they may go with a guy that has been on the field for a little bit longer. He should still be able to, you know, get some reps in the spring and maybe talk, you know, cause a little bit of conversation for the coaching staff. The other interesting guys are going to be Bryson Richardson and Trey Morrison, who are now displaced because the nickelback position is basically, it's pretty much been eliminated with this defense. Very rare that the heels are going to go with three cornerbacks because, you know, again, the thing about Jay Bateman's defense is he wants athleticism. So he's going to want the guys that can cover even on third downs and, and when they're on the field. So his linebacker, They've got to be able to cover. He's not going to add an extra corner to try to take away those third down passes, even if 
uh, teams go three or four wide. He'll trust the guys that he has on the field, and the other way he'll neutralize some of those uh, some of those spread out offenses is to go with pressure. So you know uh, when you look at the strong safety position, you know we've seen this as a position of strength over the last few years. I mean we talked about Donnie Miles who led the team in tackles. Uh, two of the last three years he was at Carolina, and then J.K. Britt a year ago, um, I thought filled the role pretty nicely. So when you look at the strong safety position, how important is it for Carolina to find that guy back there um, that can ultimately take away, you know, ho- hopefully take away the football a little bit more? Well, it's, it's very big because, like you said, the last couple years it was one of our, our better our, our strengths defensively. And I feel like we have some guys that can be effective in this role. Um, you know, you and I were both really big fans of Trey Morrison a year ago, as as as, as a young kid, and did who's going to grow and only get better. I just think Wolfolk will will probably win the job once the season kicks off. But I think they have a list of guys that are more than capable of, of doing what they want them to do. It's just a matter of which guy wins it. But you know. They're going to need to find someone that's going to be able to uh, to make tackles in open field. Mm-hmm. And like you said, we've got to find a way to create turnovers because we just we haven't been able to do that. And that's one way. Like if look at some of these teams in the Big Twelve, they don't stop anybody, but some of them can take the football away, and you can you can win games doing that. And hopefully we can get a little bit more successful taking the ball away. I mean, turnovers was one of the main things that Mac Brown has talked about, you know, throughout the offseason when it comes to talking about the defensive side of the football. His defenses, he wants them to be able to take the ball away. So, you know, I think that if they can use him there, Trey Morrison would be a good fit because, I mean, he did finish with 46 tackles a year ago. When you played the nickelback position in Larry Fedora's defenses, um, primarily under John Papuchis, you had to be able to tackle. We saw it with MJ Stewart, and we saw it with Trey Morrison last year. So he is a good tackler. I think he's athletic enough as well to flow sideline to sideline, which is one of the other things that Jay Bateman wants in his strong safeties um, because they're really going to play sort of a hybrid role. So basically, I mean, yeah, they're going to be back there as one of the last lines of defense in certain circumstances, but also he will use them in certain blitz packages, and he's also going to put him in the box sometimes to try to stop the run. I think Trey Morrison can fit there, but the problem is they may need Trey Morrison at cornerback because one of the things that some people have talked about, and I, I wanted your opinion on this because I actually found this one really interesting. There are some people that are kind of concerned about the number two corner spot opposite of Patrice Rene, and you know we'll talk about it when we get closer to the regular season and we go through fall camp and everything because Patrice won't play in the first half of the game against South Carolina due to the suspension that carries over from the NC State brawl at the end of last season. But for the most, you know, after that, unless there's an injury, Patrice Rene is pretty much seen as a guy that is locked in as a starter. But opposite of him, there is some concern as to who that number two corner is. And I found that kind of interesting because you got – 
K.J. Sales, who returns from injury, and coming into last year, there were a lot of people that were really high on him. Um, C.J. Cotman will also return, hopefully fully healthy from his injury. And again, he's not listed as one of the guys that's limited, so he is expected to return. And for the most part, in the limited snaps that we saw him a year ago, I thought he was relatively effective. But, you know, there seems to be a real concern about that number two cornerback spot. Is that an area that concerns you at all, or do you really feel comfortable with some of the guys that we have coming back, um, you know, to, to be able to lock down that role? Yeah, it definitely was an issue last year once the injury to sales happened. I do think that once he's, you know, fully healthy and gets back in the, in the flagship and all that, I think he'll be able to hold that down enough. I mean, remember last year – was it Greg Ross was getting picked on? It seemed like every game there was a right. big play going his way. Mm-hmm. And Cotman would have his moments too, but, you know, Sales just one of those guys, like, he, he's a natural corner where he plays a lot of swagger. So when he makes a really good play, he's going to talk a lot of crap, but he feeds off of that. And, and I think in, 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 today's, in today's football, you need that because he always has confidence in himself to make plays. and so I think, you know, with that, the birth of his son, he's kind of more motivated to, to be to make this his career. It's going to make him a better player. And I guess we'll have to wait and see once, once we get playing games and see how it unfolds. Yeah, so we move to the offensive side of the ball for the final two battles that we'll talk about, and it starts now at right guard. This was originally a position that I penciled in as left tackle because the belief was that Charlie Heck was going to stay at right tackle, and then it would be uh, Jordan Tucker battling it out with guys like William Barnes and um, who else did I include in there? Tristan Miller, who will arrive in the fall as well. Um, but now, uh, according to Lee Pace of GoHeels.com, he said today that the starting O-line, or what is presumed as the starting O-line group, was uh, Charlie Heck at left tackle, J.J. McCargo, who has now moved to left guard, Nick Polino has moved to center. So those two have flipped. That was something that we heard a little bit about. We didn't know where McCargo would go, um, but he will apparently move to guard and just switch with Polino, who we heard throughout the offseason could move inside to center. And then you got William Barnes, who is at right guard, and Jordan Tucker, who is at right tackle. So there are a couple of interesting things here. First of all, Charlie Heck will move to the blind side, which I thought was smart. I thought, you know, some people were saying he would stay at right tackle and I really think you put your best offensive tackle on the blind side of your quarterback, uh, which the left side will now be the blind side once again this year. After the last two years, it had been the right side because we had left-handed quarterbacks. All three of the guys competing for the starting quarterback job this year are right-handers. So that is the good news there. Uh, So moving heck to left tackle will work out. Uh, He'll now protect the blind side. But the other interesting thing that I found is that right guard spot. I thought, you know, Billy Ross a year ago, I really thought that for the most part, Billy Ross did a pretty good job. Now, the numbers between him and William Barnes, William Barnes was a little more effective in the run blocking, but I believe that Billy Ross was a little bit better of a pass protector, and Billy Ross pretty much took over that starting role 
after about the third game of the season. Now, there were still a few reps there up until that fourth game for William Barnes, and then he didn't play again the rest of the season, which most likely means that he will receive the red shirt and will come in as a red shirt freshman. But today, he is the guy that is actually running with the ones there. Um, so, I mean, when you look at that right guard position, I still think there'll probably be a little bit of a battle because, again, William Barnes has not started a game in his Carolina career officially. Um, and Billy Ross is a guy that is, I don't think is going to go away because, you know, he's he's a guy that really fits that offensive guard position very well, has the body size, I thought was effective enough in the snaps that he saw a year ago. And then one of the other guys that I think, you know, I, I threw in there, but really I think it's a 2 horse battle. Mason Veal's a senior, a guy that's been able to move all along the offensive line, but really that seems like more of a depth guy. When you look at this battle between William Barnes and Billy Ross, I mean, is is the reason that Barnes is running with the ones really just solely based on talent? Or, you know, what do you think the reason is that Barnes is probably out there with the number one group? That probably wouldn't surprise me, but I also trust that, that Matt Brown went back, watched some film, and as he was preparing, once he took the job, learning the players and, and their technique and all that stuff, and probably saw from what you said in the four games, that guy probably gives you the best chance right now if they had a line of the play. Um, the good thing is, is Billy Ross is pretty good too. So you have a little bit of depth there. If one of them's having an off day or one gets hurt, you got a, 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 a quality, capable backup at that position. And hopefully they just push each other. You know, Barnes got a little bit better pass protecting as we are going to run a a pass-first offense with uh, Longo as the offensive coordinator here. But, you know, it is what it is. They have a whole, you know, six months to figure it out. They're both going to get better at what they do. And, you know, when they line up against South Carolina, I trust that the best guy for the job will, will have it. Well, when we line up against South Carolina, the position that everyone will be focusing on is the quarterback position. And once again, we have a battle for the starting quarterback position. But this year, I think there's a little more enthusiasm around the guys than over the last two seasons, where you went with guys like Brandon Harris, Chaz Surratt, and Nathan Elliott. This year, you've got guys like Cade Fortin, who showed last year in his two starts that he's got a humongous arm and is a guy that really could fit the air raid offense pretty well. You got Jace Reuter, who made some very exciting plays in the limited snaps that we saw for him against Georgia Tech before he, of course, went down with the shoulder injury and is also a guy that does have some good running ability. And then Sam Howell, who will come in as a true freshman and is a guy who tore up the state of North Carolina at the high school level and was one of the most highly recruited quarterbacks in Carolina history, the highest rated quarterback that the Tar Heels have landed since Brent Renner. So there's a lot of excitement around this quarterback position. And it looked like today, that Cade Fortin was the guy that took the bulk of the snaps with the number one guys. But again, this is the first day, and we've seen this before, where some guys have taken a bulk of the snaps and then don't end up winning the job. So, you know, when you look at this quarterback battle, uh, first of all, is this one of the more intriguing battles to you in the last couple of years uh, when it comes to the quarterback position? I mean, it's got to be the most intriguing since Marquise and Mitch, right? Oh, absolutely. You know, we're, we're not going the route of bringing in a transfer. And then last year, there was just so many questions with Elliot's arm and then, you know, 
what's the rack that'll mature in the pocket. You know me, I'm a I'm a Fortin guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think from what we saw in that half against Virginia Tech or whatever, it seems like you know he can play. Um, he can make all the throws, which was kind of head scratching why he didn't play um, before or sooner than it was last year. And it, I forget he also was in the NC State game. That's right, he was he was back from injury and made some throws even in, in the weather. That was like okay, he's got an arm. And now that we're running an offense that's built on throwing the ball, uh, you know, that's my guy. But, yeah, I think all three guys are going to push each other. You know, Howell, of course, is the big name with the, the guy coming locally out of Monroe from Sun Valley, tearing up the state. Um, has some ability to his game as well. But in the end, I like Fortin, and I think I think he will win the job and will help lead this offense by putting up numbers where we, we were expecting to see, you know, up in the 40s. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I think some people are going to go back and do is look at the game against NC State, and if you just look at the statistics, you're going to say, well, his completion percentage was below 50%, but again, you mentioned it. It was a rainy day there. There were a ton of passes that were dropped. He really made some great progression throws that were just flat-out dropped by the wide receivers and was frankly part of the reason why the team was unable to pull out a victory against NC State in that game because I thought for the most part they really outplayed the Wolfpack on the offensive side of the ball. I thought they were able to move the ball better than NC State was for most of the day. Um, So, yeah, I I agree with you. And the main thing that Mack Brown said in his press conference on Friday, when it comes to the quarterback position, it's about the guy who can move the ball down the field and put the most points on the board. Whoever does that best is going to win this job. And I think that's where, you know, you're going to have, you know, an, an interesting back and forth with conversation like this because Cade Fortin is a guy that you know we, we saw a limited amount of so again he's still going to be a guy that doesn't have a ton of experience we don't know yet what exactly he is but I do feel like he's a guy that can run an air raid offense and be successful in it then you got Sam Howell who sort of ran a bit of an air raid offense at Sun Valley here in Monroe but I, I mean he was still there was still a lot of running that was involved in the offense that he ran now the good thing is a lot of people will say well he's a true freshman how well does he actually know the playbook knowing this specific playbook he really isn't all that familiar of course because nobody is they don't give out the playbooks for every college while you're a recruit until you read it up so you know your offense when you come in he's got to learn as he goes but he ran a complex offense at Sun Valley he did run a ton of RPO um, there so I mean this kid he's got enough knowledge to where they were able to expand his high school playbook and actually run um, what is probably considered a college level playbook so he does have probably a little bit better understanding than some of the quarterbacks that we've seen in the past coming in the learning curve for him might not be as steep as maybe some of the other uh, quarterbacks for Carolina over the last few seasons but uh, Jace Reuter is the real interesting one to me because this really doesn't fit what he did in high school in high school he was basically a read option quarterback he was a guy that ran for more yards I believe his senior year ran for more yards than he threw for 
Um, he did have some struggles completing the football, but we saw him last year in the game against Georgia Tech. And, I mean, the ball pops off the kid's hands. He's got the ability to move the pocket. And he's really just a, a guy that, I, I mean, he's just got such touch on the football. I think he's going to make this more interesting than people realize. I really feel like a lot of people think this is Fortin and Howell in this race and that Reuter's kind of the guy that's on in the background trying to keep himself in the race. But I feel like he could really make a jump there. I'm interested to see when we get to the spring game. I think that's going to be the most interesting position to watch. And, I mean, why would it not? It's quarterback. But I, I really do think that Jace Reuter could sneak up on some people. And if he has a really good spring, I mean, keep an eye on him to potentially, you know, who knows? I mean, he could eventually jump up and be the favorite because, I mean, Mac Brown said it in the press conference on Friday. None of these guys right now have a lead. There's no one that's coming in despite the fact that, Cade started two games last year, despite the fact that Reuter played in one game. All of the guys are level. No one is ahead of anybody else. So, you know, I think everybody's going to have a fair shot at it, and I think Reuter could surprise some people. So um, anything else that you wanted to mention about spring camp before we turn to the final segment of this podcast? I have nothing. Uh, one of the other things, really quickly, that I wanted to mention that I thought was great after uh, the after they wrapped up practice, they did some post practice interviews, which we're gonna hear a lot more of those throughout the spring this year with Mac Brown opening the media availability up a little bit more. Um, pretty much, uh, this is the most excited that I've heard a lot of these guys in a while. Patrice Rene said it just feels like a new environment around here. You got the new coaches, you got uh, just new life inside the program. And, and Aaron Crawford pretty much said the same thing. The energy level for this team right now is not, it's like, something he's never seen before. So, you know, to hear stuff like that and to hear how energized Mac Brown was after today saying that, you know, he, he understood exactly why he came back when he stepped out on that field today. I think that has to be encouraging for Tar Heel fans. So with that, we turn to the final segment of the podcast. It is the 40 yard dash. It's time for the 40 yard dash on the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. And in this edition of the 40-Yard Dash, we'll actually start by talking about some 40-yard dashes. And that's because Malik Carney and William Sweet have both gone through the NFL Scouting Combine. The Tar Heels weekend at the Combine is officially over as of today. Malik Carney finished it up today by running a 4.6940 and uh, actually had a good 1.6 zero split uh 10 yard split did have a solid day with the drills and did go through outside linebacker drills but struggled to catch the football a little bit and did look a little bit tight-hipped but still seems like a guy that's probably going to go in day three I thought there was a chance that if he really showed out today he could sneak into that day two conversation but it seems like right now he's a pretty safe day three guy meanwhile William Sweet he was in action on Friday his best four 40 time was a 5-2-7, and he did a good 
good job in the pass protection drills and uh, also did a great job in the mirror drill. Actually had one of the best reps of all of the offensive linemen that I saw out there. And I really think helped himself. He's a guy that now with the amount of upside that he's going to bring to the table because he left a year early and really because, you know, when you look at his pro football focus grade, it doesn't lie. I mean, if you go back and watch the film on him, he is a phenomenal pass protector and did it against some of the best defensive linemen in the ACC. Now, I would have been interested to see if he would have been able to play Clemson this year, you know, how he would have been able to handle it. But um, for the most part, I thought he was great in, you know, on tape. And, and I thought he did a phenomenal job at the combine as well. The Tar Heel Pro Day has not been determined. And when we find that out, we will, of course, let you guys know. That will be your first chance to see Anthony Ratliff-Williams, who got snubbed from the NFL scouting combine and is seen as a guy that's probably going to go in day three as a wide receiver amongst a group of wide receivers that's that's good but not quite on the same level as some of the ones that we've seen in past years. Also, guys like Cole Holcomb and Jalen Dalton could also be out there trying to get themselves in position to make NFL rosters. Meanwhile, a couple of weeks ago, uh, actually, maybe not that long ago, Larry Fedora was officially named part of the Texas staff, so it pretty much completes the switch. Mac Brown takes over his position as the head coach here at Texas. Larry goes to his former place of employment and will take over as an assistant. The good thing for Carolina there is that does mean that it will limit some of his buyout. So uh, good for Larry and good for Carolina altogether, but definitely happy that Larry is able to get back into coaching. Of course, we had heard throughout the offseason that there were some chances that he could land as an offensive coordinator, did not land in any of those jobs, but being a part of Texas staff, which is a team that is up and coming um, in college football right now and may actually believe it or not, have playoff aspirations this season. Uh, That's just awesome for Larry. Meanwhile, the new outdoor practice field uh, is hoping to be done by the time the team returns from spring break. Part of the reason for the delay is because of the bad weather that we've had uh, in the uh, generally in the southeast over the last couple of months, but they are expecting to have that ready when the guys come back on March 19th. The final day of practice will be March 7th. That's the third Tar Heel practice, and then they will pick it up for the fourth one on the 19th. That is when they are expecting to have that outdoor field ready, and that is important because Keenan Stadium right now is a complete disaster because of all of the rain and all of the sporting events that have been played there. There was a lacrosse game that was actually played there on I believe it was Friday and the field was just absolutely destroyed so uh, they are hoping that they are going to be able to get that ready for the spring game on April 13th they should be able to do that uh, as they'll have just a little over a month junior day was a success that was last weekend and of course some major prospects were on campus headlined by 2025 star uh, inside linebacker Anton Sampa. After that, he put the Tar Heels in his top eight. And, you know, there were some guys that were on campus today that were of significance as well. 2021 four-star running back Evan Pryor was the guy that we had heard about for a while. And then a couple of surprise visitors. 2020 four-star weak side defensive end Desmond Evans stopped by, as well as 2020 four-star offensive tackle Mitchell Mays. Both of those 
those guys were there for practice today. And finally, uh, we don't usually talk about basketball on this podcast, but we will take a minute to send out prayers to Coach Roy Williams, who did go down on the sideline in the game against Clemson the other night. As of right now, they are saying that it is just a vertigo spell, and we do want to wish Coach Williams the best at this time. So that's going to do it for this edition of the Heel Tough blog podcast. I want to thank you guys for listening as always and encourage you to check out the Heel Tough blog. You can go to www.heeltoughblog.com. That is the new website if you guys haven't checked that out. That's where we've got all of our articles at this time and that includes a recap of everything that went on at the Combine for both Malik Carney and William Sweet. You got the previews for spring camp if you want to take a look at that, including a position-by-position breakdown for each of those. Keep in mind that the outside linebacker and defensive line spots, those are still tentative to change. They are just guesstimates uh, with the guys that I did put at the certain positions. So just take those with a grain of salt. But the rest of the guys, it'll give you a little bit of insight on what to expect and talk a little bit about some of the battles that we'll see in camp. Also, you can check out those battles that we just talked about. There's an article on those. Those are uh, the best camp battles. Uh, that is also an article that is up. And then if you want to read about Nathan Elliott or Mac Brown's press conference from Friday, you can check those articles out as well. Meanwhile, you can go and check out the Roy's Boys podcast as well. If you want to hear some talk about the Carolina basketball team that, as Josh mentioned, is hitting the home stretch. Of course, Duke, they will play uh, once again on Saturday, this time in the Smith Center. And then after that, it's ACC tournament, and we are into the NCAA tournament. So it's the most exciting time of the year for Carolina basketball and the Roy's Boys blog and the Roy's Boys podcast has he covered. You can listen to that. That's most of the same places you can listen to this. Spreaker, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and uh, Spotify as well. iHeartRadio is in there as well. That's the other one that I meant to include in there. For us, plenty of places you can check us out. We are all over just about anywhere that you can get your podcast, and we are continuing to try to get this expanded onto Pandora as well. Uh, that was one of the other ones that I submitted to, but Spreaker, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, TuneIn.com, the TuneIn app, iHeartRadio has it. Uh, just tons of places that you guys can like and subscribe to the podcast if you like it. So that's it for this edition. I want to thank Josh for joining me and you guys once again for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. Ah!